audio revolution rolls on. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition as we bite down on the mouth guard and swing for the fences, fueled by another seismic dose of that untraceable, unmistakable performance enhancing audio the brian campbell in fact the voice that you hear and i'm not so interested this week in talking about martial artists as i am to break down the big news surrounding those fighters i'm not a martial artist i am a fighter and speaking of fighters a lot has gone on in the past few days regarding some of the biggest names in the sport so you better believe the one and only king mo muhammad lawal the Bellator Moneyweight Champion is ready to join me very shortly to break all of this down and so much more. We will provide reaction to the return of the Mac. Oh, you lied to me. Conor McGregor is back and he has signed on to face new lightweight King Habib Nurmagomedov at UFC 229. His chin is deteriorating. Well, Connor, we're going to find that out and much more for sure on October 6th, but you better believe this week King Mo and I will break down, hey, who wins this fight, how many pay-per-views this might move, and what this means for both UFC and MMA moving forward. Wow, folks, big news, and you know the BC is ready to tell you about it. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Oh, don't think we forgot for a second about one Nathan Diaz, who himself has agreed to return following a two-year break when he faces Dustin Poirier at UFC 230. We will look at Nate's bizarre reaction to the Connor news when he walked out of Friday's UFC 25th anniversary news conference and what the future might bring for that wild, lightweight division. Will we see a new era, folks? I don't know. Welcome to the Machida era. Oh, man, you know how much I love the Machida era. Oh, that one fight, that was fantastic. But it could be a new era at lightweight. We will see. Very, very excited. And you better believe, folks, we are going to break down all things that happen on Saturday at UFC 227, all the fallout which surrounded the big wins from Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw and new flyweight king Henry Cejudo. And also, what should be next for Demetrius Johnson after the end of one of MMA's greatest title reigns we have ever seen? So much to talk about on here, so little time. We got to dive right in, but before we do, before we welcome you into King Mo's exclusive home, for combat sports analysis. In my home. This is my home right here. This is American Top Team. Don't just don't disrespect me in my home. Don't ever disrespect the king in his home because you know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get two words and it's not we out. It's gonna be you're out. It's gonna be nap time. When they step foot in that cage, they're gonna pay the price with nap time. Oh yeah. Before we bring in the king and get a slice of MMA royalty, I wanna remind you that if you hear something today on the show that you, in fact, like... If you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcast. We're talking about subscribe, rate, review. Hey, give us that five-star review. How about a little note, a little sentence, a little few words in there? It only takes 60 seconds about why you love the show, about why you love the King, King Mo. This is a show that just smells so good, folks. We want to know that you're listening. We want to see this show go a long way. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me uh, and speaking of arousal you want to wake up in the morning and get everything you need in the world of sports highlights news video podcasts all that good stuff folks 
you need the CBS Sports HQ newsletter. Hey, what is CBS Sports HQ, right? Some of you may be asking. You know, it's that live 24-7 streaming network. You can get it on your phone, on your laptop, stream it to your television set. Well, now we've got a daily email that really puts you right in your place. I know when you wake up, you pull the covers off, right? Some of you are gross enough to light up a cigarette in bed. Hey, that's your life. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to judge you, but you grab that phone. You check the DMs. They're pretty sloppy, I know. But you also want to check that inbox. You want to reach right into that in-hole because you'll be hit with that CBS Sports HQ newsletter. You'll be packed with all the good stuff you need before you start your day. Hey, if you checked it out this morning, you would have saw a video in there from your boy BC telling you why the Conor McGregor comeback is a big deal and whether that two years will affect him in terms of ring rust. You're going to get a little of that, of course, today in this show. But if you want to get that morning dose, you're going to have to go to cbssports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. But with the business guys out of the way, right? Time to get fired up because we back. I back. Trust me. I back. Oh, feels so good to hear that. We are back. With more audio, more goodies for you. It's the King and BC Show. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. It's BC. It's King Mo, Muhammad Lawal. We are fresh off UFC 227. Connor's coming back. There is so much to talk about. King, I got you up bright and early for this one. How is it, my man? What's happening in your life? Man, I'm just chilling right now, man. You know, I'm out here uh, in Las Vegas, had takers and stuff, but I'm here on the show, live and direct. Let's go. That's Let's what go. I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, Kingmo, UFC 227. We're like, hey, it's a two-fight card coming in. The undercard blows. Let's see what happened. Turned out to be an entertaining night of MMA with what happened in those two title fights. A couple good undercard fights didn't move the needle, but certainly what happened on Friday with all the announcements really fueled it. I don't know. I make rash, knee-jerk uh reactions to things you know that but i kind of feel like when you combine how good 227 is with the connor announcement which with which really adds a lot of health to where the sport's going forward i kind of felt like ufc just turned a positive corner where the last year and a half every time we turn on this microphone we're like oh come on ufc you're killing me i feel like this was a big swerve in a new direction it, it was a very big swerve but but at the same time a lot of questions were not answered, in my opinion. Like, right now, how many belts are 155? Because I know, do we consider Conor the champion, even though they say they stripped him? I don't know. <laughs> Habib's the champion. Then what about Ferguson? They What's stripped Ferguson. That is official. They did strip Ferguson, which is ridiculous. But What? So does that mean Kobe's getting stripped too? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Hey, that's UFC in 2018. Thanks for playing, King Mo. You can have an interim belt for a day. We may take it away from you, though, for absolutely no reason. Hey, they took Jermaine Durandamy's title away for not fighting Cyborg, yet, you know, Connor was out there fighting Floyd with the, with the UFC title still around his waist. I don't understand how things work, King Mo. But for all the crap UFC has done, I mean, certainly Connor coming back is, just drives everything up. We'll talk about that. But I just feel like with the fight announcements, with the way the fights played out on Saturday and now the matchups we have going forward. Good, good weekend. Good weekend for Dana and company. Well, you know, for all the other sketchball stuff going on and King Mo, the main event, which I was fired the heck up for TJ Cody part two. The first fight was amazing. It's one of those blood rivalries. You're talking about two of maybe the top 10 or 12 fighters in the whole sport. 
And this one did not disappoint King Mo. First round TKO for TJ Dillashaw of all, even with his knockout last year, of all these potential outcomes on the board entering this rematch, with Cody being healthy, with all the stuff that happened, would you have ever suggested or predicted TJ by first round TKO? Well, you know what? Honestly, no, but when you look at it, when you look at the way the fight played out, yes. You know, um, because, uh, when you look at, when you look at, um, Garbrandt, young, brash, doesn't show much respect for Dillashaw. After he thought, after the first fight, when he heard him, he was like, you know what? If I give him this situation again, I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna give him there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish him. And I think that worked against him. Cause you could, Dill, Dillashaw's just crafty. There's one person you can't go out there to try to knock out. He has to get your points. You have to, you have to touch him. You have to, do damage, then go for the knockout. You just can't go out there and try to knock him out right off the rip. He's too crafty. He's too, he's too, too sharp. Defensively, he's there. Offensively, he's there. Range wise, rhythm wise, he is there. You have to touch him and, and you can't touch him with big shots right away. You have to touch him with small shots and build up and score points. And, uh, Garbrandt being younger and, and having that, having that, um, that demeanor, I think it worked against him. And Kingmo, now TJ Dillashaw, for a guy who's, not known as a monster puncher for a guy who, although durable, is not known as like one of these cyborgs with an iron chin. He's really, really comfortable at standing in the pocket and, you know, sidestepping monster shots and countering back. You, like that style as a, as a guy who, who really respects what TJ does. Sometimes I'm nervous he's going to get caught in that, but he walks right into the belly of the beast and just says, I'm quicker. I got better technique. I got better skills. That seemed to be what happened in both fights from my analysis. Yeah, slip and rip, slip, rip. He does that real well. He like so Daniel. Like as a matter of fact, Daniel does that real well. A lot of fighters, AKA, do that real well. Where they where we're gonna make you miss, they make you pay. And uh, he's probably one of the best at it in MMA, to be honest with you. All right, Cody was more patient in the beginning of this fight than it seemed he was the first fight. That patience went out the window quick. Would yeah. you agree with the narrative that? TJ knowing Cody very well. Let's not forget, these two have sparred a lot. They know each other very well. So sometimes when you take away the the element of surprise, it might just come down to who's the more skilled fighter. And in this case, that was TJ. But it also might come down to who has a mental advantage if there is one. Do you believe in the narrative that two fights in a row, TJ knew if I get Cody into a little bit of a firefight, he'll get off his game and I'll hold the advantage? Well, I think he saw that after at the end of the first round, last fight. Granted, like, you know, Garbrandt won that round, but he was so fired up because the next round he paid paid the price. You know, I, I, he's young, he has skills, but I think that um, what, what hurts him is his experience going 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 like okay, play like this. Like when he fought Dominic, when he fought Dominic Cruz, he was the man. He dictated everything. He was the one that was showboating. He's the one that. You know, made Dominic Cruz fight a different pace, different style. This fight, on the other hand, I I, I think Dillashaw is just in the zone right now. He, he's he's clicking on all cylinders, and he, he has he has a Garbrandt figured out. I think he has his number right now. I I'm almost sad that the rivalry's over now. That it's two nothing TJ from the from the sense that I feel like Kingo these guys could fight you know every six months. And put on just really, really fun, high level skill, explosive fights. Like, for as much as we saw 
two and a half rounds from these guys, or maybe two rounds total if you add up all the minutes. Yeah. I yeah. still want like a five round fight where there's ebbs and flows. I think they can give us that, but it's over now. It's over moving forward. Yeah, yeah it won't five rounds. You won't see three rounds of these guys. Unless, unless, now, unless Garbrandt changes something. Because he's young, man. He's young. I think that if the fight, if things were to change, it'd be another year or two when Garbrandt understands like, okay, you know what? I'm not invincible, but I have skills. Now, let's find different ways of not getting hit. Because I've, because I've seen Garbrandt, he'll, he'll take one. He'll take, he's young. Every young fighter feels like they're invincible. They feel like they're invincible. And when it comes, when push comes to shove, they will take that one shot to land one. But, Sometimes that one shot can put you out. And you learn that as you get older in the game. You know, once you take your first L or once you get buzzed by somebody, you get hurt in practice, you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not invincible. Oh, man. I think that Garbrandt will go back to the drawing board and make some, make some, uh, make some changes to his defense. Who knows? Like, he might make changes to his team. Who knows? Like, you know, um. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like this should happen. Well, Cody is, uh, I mean, it's, you're, you're right. You're right on a lot of things. He's only 27, but he's also only had, what, 13 pro fights? I mean, it's, he had early success, had the big power, has the great look, suddenly stumbled into that, hey, we have no stars at the moment in UFC. We need a new one. This could be our guy. So, King Mo, is there still time for him to become that guy when you consider you don't panic in MMA with a loss like you do sometimes in boxing, especially when a guy's on the rise. I know this is two losses now in a row to the same guy, but that same guy is arguably, you know, the pound-for-pound pound best in the sport. So is there still time to the idea that Cody could become the guy you put on a poster, the guy that the UFC has built around? Or is a, you know, is a little bit too much of that invincibility been taken? Well, I think it's two things. Like, one thing, like... I know it's not a topic, but I think as he matures more, he'll look back. Like you know, during the fight week, he had issues with his past tweets. Yes, you know? he did, King Mo. There was mm-hmm. uh, at least ten tweets that involved the N word, yeah. talking to other people, ne- never in a let's say uh, a, a mean spirited sense, but yeah. in a conversational sense. And he yeah. apologized for those, but he was quick to point out and use the language of "those are the lyrics of my past." Did that, as a man of color, I don't know, repair the situation? Do you go, oh, yeah, okay, you had a tough upbringing, even though you're white, it's okay. What was your reaction to his to his response? Uh, I think that was pretty ignorant, because that's just saying everybody black. Because, you know, he's like, I use that, that's what I say. And that term was used towards the black folks. Use it, the N-I-G-G-A, you hear amongst black folks, N-I-G-E-G-E-R is derogatory. But really, they're both derogatory. But really, when you when you when if you've grown up like around many black folks and you use that word, they'll tell you or we'll tell you, hey, you can use it around us. You get a pass because we know you, but you can't go out there using it out in the open because somebody else that don't know you might step to you and do some harm to you. And uh, that's just him being young. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything about like what what's really going on and why the the history of that. That's just being that's him being young. So I, honestly, I'll just. I'll give it. I'll give my pass. I'm a little older now. Some of his age might not see it that way, but I'm a lot older than him, so I've seen it all. I've heard it all. So I know he's just young. I think that with him, when he's a chance to understand his past and, and figure that out and understand how to control things in the ring, and maybe a new team might be needed, like just to just to liven things up and refresh things up. Because I've noticed, like if you notice when he's fought, I've watched the fight a few times and nothing has really changed. Really, you know what I'm saying? Like 
as far as pace and consistency and calmness, just his demeanor is there. But I feel like sometimes he gets real sporadic. He's looking for the home run too much. A lack of evolution. Maybe he got to the top of the mountain really quick and was like, I got this. And with Dominic Cruz, I think with Dominic Cruz, he got false sense of security because Dominic Cruz, the one he beat, ain't the same Dominic Cruz from the past. Mm-hmm. The Dominic Cruz from the past used to hop around and move for five minutes. He could do it for a hundred minutes in a round. This is the first time when he fought Garber, the first time I saw him stop moving and actually walk because he's, his legs were conditioned. You know, the injuries might hurt him back and he'd get the conditioning back to bounce around like that. But that hurt him and that left, that made, that, that left him there to get hit a lot. Yeah. He was taking, he was taking chances that he normally would get away with because he's, he's healthy. But this time he's out there injured. So Garbrandt took advantage of all that. And I think he had a false sense of security going forward. Well, it's interesting. In that cruise fight, let's remember two things. One, Dom's not a big puncher. He's, he's yep. not a guy that can really get you out of there on that level. And two, he had a significant injury that he didn't try to play up at all that he says really held him back. And by the way, King Mo, he ruined a really good hair night. Did you see Dom Cruz that night come in with that low ball fade? I was like, what's going on here? This is great. Anyone who really steps up their hair game always gets blown away. <laughs> Remember when Trinidad came out against Winky Wright? His wife yeah. had him do the high fade with like the big, yeah. almost yeah. like the dread <laughs> sticking out. It was fantastic. And then Winky was like, here's this jab sandwich for 12 rounds. And don't forget when Brock put on that that really badass, like, hunting beard, like that up, upstate Saskatchewan beard. And then Kane, <laughs> Kane's like, no, 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 bro, I got your soul right here. I'm pulling it out of your chest. Yeah. So word to the wise here, right? Anytime you're going to change the hair, make sure you don't get, get get caught. But, uh, yeah, so Cody was like, look, those things are my past. He says, it shouldn't be embarrassing. Here's his exact quote to MMA Junkie about the tweets. He says, it's lyrics. I grew up hanging with blacks, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans selling drugs. That's a street word we would always say. It wasn't like I was using derogatory words toward anybody. That's how we grew up. It's kind of like that was Hulk Hogan's response. So you got to have a little bit better of a response from that. Yeah, because yeah, like really, like um, it's gonna sound weird, but like yeah, we I grew up selling drugs. And I grew up with blacks and Hispanics, and we were selling drugs. And that's the like so pretty much you're saying like a lot of blacks and Hispanics, like you know where I'm around, all selling drugs, and they're still doing like you know like. You know, that, that, he's young, you know what I'm saying? And if this was me 10 years ago, I'd be like, look, man, like when we see him, I'm going to slap him in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to punch him. But now I'm like, man, look, I'm 37, my late, late 30s, almost 40. I'm like, he, he needs to grow up. Yeah. And once, once he finds himself, then he'll be able to evolve as a fighter, as a person, as a boyfriend, whatever, a son, whatever he chooses to be. Kimo, what was the fight in your arc where you realized you weren't invincible, where you couldn't just stick the, the stick the cocky chin and the crown out there and be like, I'm, I'm going to step to anybody who brawls with me? When did you have to be a little more economical and, and get wiser in the cage? Uh, man, I knew that before going in there, just being a boxing fan. It just took time for me because, like, like, you know, the, the, my, my, my situation back then wasn't conducive to – wasn't really that good because I got thrown the wolves. And then the people I was sparring with, I was like grappling with Dean Lister. I was I was training with guys that were way above my level. So I, I really never I was like I was always every day in the gym, I was always on, okay, I'm not invincible because I can get knocked out by kicked by Sogaju or Need or punched by Dan or submitted by Vinny Magalay. So so I was always like, okay. I was always behind. So like I, I knew I wasn't invincible invincible because I've been buzzed, I've been submitted, you know. But the thing is when we talk cutting promos or getting interviewed, we talk everything up because, like, we want people to come watch this. If I'm like, yeah, man, 
I sparred with Dan, and he dropped me like three times, and I got body kicked by Sojuka Knee, and every time I grapple with Vinny and, and Dean Lister, they submit me. People can be like, man, Mo's a bum. So you can't like really <laughs> mention all the, 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 the vulnerability stuff. And the thing is, your people that you're fighting will catch on to that. So you have to make it seem like you're He-Man, you know what I'm saying, mixed with eating on, on power pellets, never getting tired, always strong, nothing ever hurts you. Oh, are we getting arm bar? I'll curl that arm bar back in and get my arm so free. Talk. You know, so you have to, you have to, you have to make it seem like you're invincible, even though we know we're not. The problem is, new fighters that really never competed, they come into the game and they think that okay, I can't be knocked out, I can't be submitted because they've never seen that in practice or seen that in live competition. I've seen that in wrestling. I've been dominating. I've been suplexed in wrestling. I've, I've seen it all. I've, I've, I've dealt. I took losses, but a lot of times, like these young fighters. They come in with a great amateur record, a lot of hype and pedigree. The first five fights are smashing people. Then all of a sudden, things get a little tougher and tougher and tougher. Or things might get tough right then, and they're like, oh, I haven't seen this before. I'm in trouble. Malfunction, malfunction. Oh, took a loss. So I think Garbrandt was at the, at the malfunction part. I think now, because he took two losses back back to back, and, and, and like he's, never, he's been undefeated his whole career, I think that he's going to take time, chill, if I were him, I think he should do this. He might do this anyway, but take time, chill, talk to your coaches, and you know what? Go go train at another gym for a little bit. Find a gym. If, you know, go go spend a week at another gym and just just casually train. Hey, you know that's line one. It's Dan Lambert from ATT on line one here. Hey, you know what? I would I would love to, if I could get my hands on Cody Garbrandt, man. We'd do some damage. Talk about. It. You're, I, you're not I, talking I about pass, damage in the nightclubs to the single ladies. You're talking about some damage in the inside of the cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he can do damage to nightclubs with the single ladies after we do damage in the cage. Yes, yes. That's how I see it. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, Kingbo, you've never been submitted in your career. Speaking of, you never, you never tapped out. No, thanks to Vinny Vagalace and Dean Lister and um, Honey Yaya, I've grappled with many great wrestlers. I mean, grapplers. And been submitted by the best, Ricardo Laborio. I've been smashed, Coach Pahumpa. I've been smashed. It's just that I learn. I, I learn from the positions. A lot of times when I'm grappling, I'll put myself in the worst case positions possible. I'll have shoe face take my back. I'll have them mount me. I'll have them start like, with the, like, in a, in a, like a, a loosely locked up um, triangle so I can get free. You have to put yourself in these positions so you know how to get out of them. A lot of times right. when you get tired and you get put in, put in these positions, you panic. Like, I'm telling you, when you're tired, a loose chokehold feels like you're getting choked and strangled. Seriously. Claustrophobia kicks in. But in practice, it's, it's time for you to train and put yourself in these positions where you're tired in practice and let you know that, hey, I'm not going to die. You know what? I can still breathe. Because a lot of times when you're tired and you get put in these maneuvers, you, you start to panic. And, and that's what happens. So you have to learn how to stay calm. And Garbrandt is in a position in his career that two losses – you might want to panic, but really, you should sit back. He's still young, and he can find the right team or find the right coaches on his team to help him get back on track. You're battle-tested, Kingmo. By the way, your Wikipedia page, I don't know how often you go to that, but under your pro wrestling section, they have two finishing moves listed for you. Can you name those two finishing moves without looking? Uh, The Garvin Stomp. That's, that, that, that's your signature move, whatever that means, but you have two additional uh, finishing moves. Oh, the drive-by punch? That's the one of them. No, no, not not listed, Kingbo. They have the calf slicer, which calf they call, slicer. what do you yeah. call that? The royal pain, right? 
The royal paint, yeah, yeah. And then they have the <laughs> royal flush. Do you actually do this fireman's carry into a side slam? Is that a King Mo original right there? Nah, nah, because they took the royal flush. That's Kenny King. Kenny King took the, but I, I, I was gonna have a move called the Royal Flush, but Kenny King was like, Mo, that's my move. I was like, I can't take it. So I was like, I'll, I have, I have a different move I made up, but I'm thinking of a name of, thinking of a name for it. Whoever's I, updating I, your, your, your wiki needs to get on board then and get, get, yeah, I, yeah, I've been, I've been go to Wikipedia because I know that most of it, some of it already false in some pages. So, some of like it right might now, be false. Yeah. false. They might have, they do have you as an all division high school linebacker though. Yeah, uh, I was conference, yeah, conference division, yeah, something like that, yeah. All right, what number did you wear, King Mo? Uh, I wore 19. 19 as a linebacker, interesting. What, what yeah, because like, the thing is, like, same, same time, like, the teams he played were passing teams. Like, back then when I was in high school, Allen, Texas, all they threw was, like, they had a West Coast offense, no huddle, and they just hurry up offense. So, like, a lot of teams we played in our, in our, in our district conference, whatever, were, um, they were all passing teams. So, like, Running like you know if we we had if we if we play running teams I wouldn't be in there because they put putting someone bigger but a lot of teams we played had so much speed that they wanted someone quicker out there so it threw me oh you played for Plano <laughs> East and you were playing big time Texas cut this yeah. Friday Night Lights stuff this is like legit yeah yeah we 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 did our thing we were ranked in the state but when we got to the playoffs we got smashed <laughs> and it says you were a wide receiver your senior year is that a true Wikipedia fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. well, were you like a were you like a young Randy Moss, just out jumping fools? What what was what, what what kind of receiver was King Mo? Just like out slants and hitch routes because like I wasn't I wasn't that tall. You know, so I was small and our quarterback was small too. Our quarterback was like five nine. But he could throw the ball. He just chunk it up there. Where but, is this fellow today? What's this guy's name? What was the quarterback of Plano East back in King Mo's days? We had Clint Gwynn and we had Cameron Perry. All right, all right. You ever you ever text these bros? Are they out of your life? What's going on? Shout out to Cameron Perry. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, Cameron. Like Clint, I haven't talked to him in a while, but Cameron Perry, he's still out there in Dallas. I seen him a few years ago. He's out there um doing his thing, but he was a hell of a quarterback. All right, all right. That that was that. We just paused for a second, went deep on the wiki of King Mo. But back to 227. Now we talk about TJ and King Mo. You know a couple of things about me. I like to make knee jerk reactions, but I also really love and respect TJ Dillashaw's pound for pound ability and where he's underrated. I have I had him at three coming in. A lot of people think, oh, you're crazy. He can't be top five. No, he is top five because guess what? He didn't lose to Rafael Asuncao like they say he did. He didn't lose to Dominic Cruz like they say he did. And if he did, by the way, should have gotten an immediate rematch. Shows you what the yeah, UFC yeah. thought about him. But he's back. And I think he just showed you, King Mo, if you're not willing to call him the best fighter in the world now that DJ lost and there is an opening for that top spot, you tell me who's the pound-for-pound pound best. Is it Cormier? Because I think Dillashaw's in that conversation. True or false? Uh, he could be. Um, the thing is, here's the problem with the pound-for-pound pound conversation. It always changes after every fight. Because if Habib goes out there and smashes Connor in the first round, like devastating, like, Ground takedown, slam, devastating ground and pound, nasty submission. Then people can be like, you know what? Cormier was the power pound great, but now I don't know. It might be Dillashaw. He did stop so and so, but Habib beat Conor McGregor. I just don't know what they're gonna do. You, I, the power pound, the power pound um, rankings are 
so weird because it depends on the matchups and when it and is. who's fighting who. And Habib is, is really – I have him at about 9 or 10, but he's really just missing that big name to put him in those top yeah. three or four or number one if he beats Connor. I mean, he may have a chance. But it's a weird time right now specifically for pound for pound because DJ just lost who was number one with a bullet and both John Jones – and Conor McGregor have been away for more than a year, so that essentially takes them out of the top ten under the way most people run a pound for pound. So what I'm saying is, you might if you have DC number one, that's fine. But there's an opening where TJ has an argument because he's got a complete game. What is the guy missing? He's mar. I think he could be marketable. I think UFC just never got behind him. Yeah, they they never got behind him because UFC's looking for guys with more of an edge. You know, you know, it's like GSP. They didn't get back. They got behind GSP because he sold pay per views, but really GSP had the right people behind him for being a star from Canada. You know, um, I, they they get behind people with concert, like people with um some type of edge. They got behind Kobe. Kobe has an edge. They're not really behind Tyron Willie, but he has an edge. But it just depends. They pick and choose. They want to get behind. It's hard to explain, but um. I think the three most under-promoted big stars by the UFC are Nate Diaz, number one. I think he, he could be a breakthrough star if they just got behind him and, and joined in business with him. Number two, Woodley, I think by far. Look, even if – Kingmo, even if you did the tired promotional idea of here's a black star – Let's push him as a Floyd Mayweather bad guy. Even if you did that, which is kind of borderline racist to just default do that, he I think he could be a star, but they do nothing with him. Like when he wins some of those boring fights where his technique wins out, they should be like, look, he's like Floyd Mayweather. He's got the full combination of the game, and he disarmed all these guys. Instead, you got Dana coming out and saying, this guy's so boring, I don't know if I can promote him. And Dillashaw's the third guy. I think those three, if you just tried more – you could make them stars, but for some reason, you know, Dana only wants to try yeah, to push Cody, well, or now Darren Till they want to push to the to the gills. Yeah, I have a problem with your. I have a big problem with your top three, because number one, by far, by far is Mighty Mouse, by far. Well, the most- is he underpromoted or is he just not promotable? That's the debate, Kingmo. Well, the thing is, I feel like he's underpromoted because think about this: how are you not promotable when you're the only fighter on the roster with the Xbox um, sponsorship. That's true. There, there, there always, there's always things you can find in somebody that make them promotable. You just have to ask some questions. You have to follow me. You have to dig deep. Remember when Henan Burrell was not promotable? You know what Dana started doing? He started going, this guy's a monster. He's the pound for pound best in the game. Like they, He went aggressive to try to do anything to get that guy over. You're right. He doesn't do that for DJ, and if anything... He constantly criticizes DJ, and don't forget, within the last calendar year, Dana White publicly told DJ, I'll shut down this flyweight division if you don't stop, like, running your mouth. Like, when you have your promoter that does that, you're right. You know, you're right. You're right. But see, here's the problem with that, right? Um, It's going to sound bad. I'm going to say it anyway. Forget it. Um, Well, he's a sunken promoter, in a sense. He sounds like Calvin Candy from Django. No, seriously, think about it. Like, you, people, you have people going out there fighting, putting their lives on the line, and you're gonna be mad that the fight wasn't, wasn't exciting when they're putting their lives on the line anyway to, enter, to entertain people that are paying you, and then you're gonna come back and pay these guys peanuts? Like, Dan White has millions. Um, all these fighters, Mighty Mouse, Woodley, Diaz, those Diaz brothers, they try to get to where Dana is by fighting. That's, that's rough, man. Cut, cut these boys some slack. Fighting is not an easy sport. Now, it's, 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 
it's hard. It's not as hard as, as amateur wrestling, but it's hard. And when you go in there, every time you leave practice, every time you leave the gym, you're leaving with a little less of yourself. Ooh. I I felt it right now. No, it's true because there are times years ago or five years ago, you could be like, Mo, list me your top 10 pound for pound list for boxing or MMA. And I can rattle off names, bam, 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 and tell you why. Now I can write off some names, but I'm forgetting some names. And that can be me being older because I'm, I am older. And that can be me getting hit in the head a lot because I get hit in the head every day in training of some sort. Or when I get takedowns, I slam you, boom, my head, temple, hit your hip bone. People like, you know, every time you take somebody down a lot of times, people get buzzed doing that because your, 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 your temple and your ear hits people's hip bones. So when you shoot, hip bone. When you take them down, bounce off the hip bone. So that's that's concussion right there too. There are a lot of times, a lot of situations in the in in the cage or in the ring, when people are concussed and losing the pieces of themselves, and people don't know about it because after the fight, you if you win and you got hit and took a lot of damage, no one cares about what damage you took because hey, you won. Yeah, you're right. Put the put the microphone in your face. You might be might be buzzed, but you know what? You're still smiling. Yeah, yeah. And then when you go back to your hotel room, then you're like, okay, man, I got a headache. And, and that's when you figure out, okay, I'm gonna have a headache. I'm not feeling good. And the people close to you know what's going on. The fans don't know what's going on. No one, they don't really know what's going on until after the fact. When we go in there, we're risking our lives. We're losing a piece of ourselves after every round, after every practice, after every fight. So I, I feel like, you know, that's one thing people need to take into consideration when, with these fighters. That's real talk right there, King Mo. I mean, as Chael once said. King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. I mean, both in, in, in deed and words, he's a tough SOB, King Mo. That is some real talk, no doubt about it. King Mo, when you look at TJ now, now look, right after the fight, actually right before the fight, Henry Cejudo defeated Demetrius Johnson and said, I'll fight the winner of TJ Cody. After the fight, TJ said, yeah, sure. Then... In the post-fight press conference, TJ suddenly changed his tune and was like, well, look, I mean, I would fight him, but you know what? He lost to this guy and this guy, blah, 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 blah. UFC's not doing that champion versus champion. They only would have done it with Demetrius because they needed to. There was nobody left for him to fight. So when you look at where TJ can go next, obvious matchup is the rematch with Dominic Cruz, right? It makes sense because listen to this. Joe Rogan, through the entire broadcast or after TJ won, was like, this guy's the greatest bantamweight in UFC history, except for the guy he didn't beat. Now, I thought he beat Dominic Cruz, but technically he lost. That would be a fun heck of a fight, right? You could bill it as the winner is the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. Now, King Mo, you like to be careful of saying greatest because things change. You're correct. And we need to realize this bantamweight division's only been around for like eight years. But mm-hmm. TJ took the soul from Henan Burrow twice, beat Cody Garbrandt twice. In my eyes... Looked really good against Dominic Cruz once. That that would be a nice little bantamweight Super Bowl. Would you buy into that? Nah, it's hard for me to buy into it. Here's why. Dominic Cruz got handled. Granny was injured, but he got handled by um, Garbrandt. Got handled by him. And Dillashaw being handled, handled Garbrandt twice. Now, I like to do every, uh, MMA math, but that's the math right there. Now, moving forward. How many fights has Cruz had since he lost his last since he lost Zero. his last fight or since he fought his last fight? Zero. Yeah, so 
Like, how can you give somebody a towel shot? Well, my bad. They've already done it with Brock. So, yeah, give him a towel <laughs> ah, There's shot. no rules, King. Well, there's no rules. Yeah, give him you, a towel shot. Yeah, give him the damn title shot. But there are some fights to make, though. The Asuncial, even though TJ blew away Asuncial in the rematch at UFC 200, Rafael's back. That that If you do that trilogy, it's an interesting title defense. What about Marlon Moraes as a long-term fight for TJ? You like that business? Honestly, I'll be real with you. I think TJ should go up. Go up to featherweight why and challenge a big name there why not everybody else is doing it is he a small bantamweight though doesn't matter everybody else is doing it everybody like hey be like everybody else like if you want to make money dillashaw wants to make money go up and challenge challenge somebody at 145 a big name at 145 that's what i think because look look at 130 like 125 he can wait and beat up, a, beat up a smaller guy but people might be like say he does win they're like well he beat he beats the Hudo, Hudo's a 125 pounder, blah, 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 blah. People are always going to say, but, but, but. People want Mighty Must to come up. Then, Mighty Must to come up to fight you. Well, why don't you go up? Because why pick on the smaller man? Go right. up. Get yours at that weight class above. There is some business, though, because it's not just a Sun Sal. It's not just Moraes, potentially. But don't forget, TJ was knocked out by John Dodson in, for TJ's first loss, and the only loss, I thought, of his career that was real would you would you consider running that back for a title, or is your you think? I mean, Dodson just lost to Marlon Moraes two fights ago, but it was a split decision. Yeah, but here's my here's my problem, right? Here's my thing. When is the last time you seen Dodson? What organization is he with? Because I haven't heard nothing about him. Oh, interesting. He last he, fought he, in March at two twenty two, and he took a split decision from Pedro Munoz. Was was that was that his last fight in his contract? Interesting, interesting. You've had no, you've heard nothing, and that's that's the thing, right? Like. In the, in the in the past, like you know, years ago, people like you know, you're gonna re up because you know, people like I'm not gonna. Bellator's not an option. Bellator's not an option. But now, like you have WinFC, Risen. You have the organizations in Russia. You probably won't go to those. He has Bellator is an option. You know, I I, I don't know man, where's where's Dotson been. You know, would you give Dotson a, a towel shot? At, when's the last time he fought? Tyson fought. He fought a year ago, right? It was. It looks like he's, uh, I don't know if it's official, but it, it looks like 228, which is September 8th in Dallas. He's been, uh, looks like he could be facing Jimmy Rivera. Okay. Okay. Then that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. But you know, but I, I really think if I were Dillashaw, I wouldn't wait for nobody at 135. I'd go up to 145 and try to get somebody. That is interesting. Try to find, uh, uh, try to find, try to find a name, try to find a name. Like, Anson Silva went to 205. He fought James Irvin. He fought names. People recognize they're Morris dangerous, Griffin, but they yeah. weren't. Yeah, they weren't top, top. They weren't like champions. I feel like Dillashaw should find a name that's solid, and durable, respectable. Smash him because if he smashes him, then people might be like, you know what? Dillashaw's a problem. One thirty-five and one forty-five. I wouldn't mind seeing. I wouldn't mind seeing fight for the belt or fighting like a contender. Get you, get you some big fights. Yeah, wait, hey, cash in while you have the chance. All yeah, right. of course. It's, uh, it's all about cashing in now. It's about cashing in. He has the belt. Make as much money as possible. You know who just cashed in in that co-main event? Henry Cejudo, King Mo, because he stopped arguably the most legendary title reign in UFC history when he took a five-round split decision from Demetrius Johnson. Now, King Mo, the first bit of business we have to get into is ultimately, did he deserve that? I scored it by one point for Mighty Mouse. Ultimately, is this. Look, Mighty Mouse landed basically 100 more strikes. Although he never seemed to hurt Cejudo... When I added up the damage round by round, Mighty Mouse was the guy getting off. He was the one hitting clean. 
I liked uh, Cejudo's takedowns, certainly. But in the end, I mean, Mighty Mouse was the one pressing the damage, pressing the action. He was the one more dynamic. He was constantly switching stances. And most importantly, I'll say this. Mighty Mouse's takedown defense was really strong, and he kept himself out of trouble. So when they read that decision, it's not a robbery. It's a, it's a, it's more of a preference. If you're going to build a case why Henry Cejudo deserves that, where do you go? Uh, takedowns maybe, but at the same time, the fight was close, right? I mean, it was a good tactical fight that had dramatic pockets. The fight was great. They already yeah. started calling it the best flyweight title fight in history. Maybe that's because D- Demetrius has dominated so much that there wasn't a lot of close fights. But, you know, but at the same time, one thing you didn't mention is to be the champ, you got to take the belt from the champ. You got to beat him. Split decision where I'm, where I'll talk to people like, you know, I'm glad he went, Cejudo won because I know him. Congratulations, Henry Cejudo. But when you talk to people, you hear, man, I thought Mighty Mouse won. I, and it's like 60-40 Mighty Mouse from what I've seen, but really makes no difference because the champ Cejudo. But really, when you're the champion, the challenger needs to go out there and make a statement and control you in a sense, but not just like take, I'm talking, do control, win every aspect of the fight if you can because, you know, you know how to, to be the champion, you got to beat the champion and take the belt from him and dominate him. Well, with a split decision, with no domination, it was just a close contest. That was it. And really when it comes down to it, the champion should be getting the benefit of the doubt in these, well, close, in these close fights. I think the problem is that – I don't know if it's a problem. The thing that explains that is – you're still judging round by round, right? It's like it's not yeah. like we're watching the the fight afterwards. We're going, you know what? Henry was pretty good, but he never really hurt Demetrius, so yeah. you didn't, you know, like you're doing it round by round. That's why he won ultimately. They must have just thought this in the scoring that Mighty Mouse was never hurting him, even though he seemed to control it. And specifically to close the third and fifth round, you had Cejudo getting big takedowns, and and although he wasn't landing much, was was kind of controlling Mighty Mouse, and then I think the way that he closed round five seemed to be a big swing when he did seem to hurt uh, my, Mouse for a second, need him to the stomach, landed a couple shots before the bell, and then you find out afterwards, Johnson broke his foot, he also had, a, had another significant injury, maybe that would explain why he didn't dominate, but he was certainly wasn't giving excuses, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen a champion take a loss better then maybe you'll want on the first Rose fight. I mean, Mighty Mouse had a smile on his face afterwards. He says, look, it's happened. I've lost before. Let me go home, recharge, reset, see what's next. I got to give him that credit because he could have easily came out there and said, you know what? A, I was hurt. And B, what the heck are the judges looking at? It's, it was interesting. Well, the thing is that you already did, did it for him. You, like, look, it's like this. If you want to know the truth about what's going on in the fights or, or, or what's going on with fighters, listen to him talk. But listen to him talk, you know, and all their interviews, because sometimes they'll, 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 you know, a lot of times we leak information without knowing, you know what I'm saying, not purposely. And Mighty Mouse is a stand-up guy, you know, he'll be back. It just depends on when, because here, where is the dilemma? Will the UFC give him another rematch? Because there's cha- there are times where the champions lost the belt and had to wait time to get a rematch. Yeah, TJ had to wait two years, yeah. right? Cody got yeah, it, one yeah. automatically. And there are other times where it don't happen. If, you know any, like, look, if any champion in history deserves an immediate rematch for a trilogy here, it's without question it's Demetrius Johnson. Well, right? well, well, don't forget that you're not wrong. Jose Aldo too. That is very Jose true. Aldo very deserved, true. Like, being a champion like for that long. You deserve a you know you you mess up one time you deserve a redo. They did give him the 
interim title bout against Frankie Edgar. I mean, at least they gave him something, but you're right. He would have deserved to run that back against Connor. They should have. Yeah, they yeah, should have. against Connor, but the thing is that they want to move Connor and make money off Connor so much that, like, okay, well, we dodged this bullet. Jose Aldo, Connor, oh man, oh, oh, we have a new champion at 155. You know what? Connor, would you like to fight for the 155 belt? Versus who? Versus Eddie Alvarez. Done. That's what happened. Because they're trying to. Yeah. They're, trying, they're trying to build them, trying to make money off of them. I was just surprised from this angle of the judging because normally you, you tell me what you've seen over the years. If I mm-hmm. can get a pulse of what I think judges are looking for in fights, I feel like they don't just reward you for taking people down unless you do something with it. And while I give Henry Cejudo credit in this case where all the whole narrative coming in was he has improved so much in the last two years. But we're talking about his improvement with boxing. We're talking about that he's just a better striker, that he might be able to go in there and do some things to DJ. And then what did he do? The only success he really had was taking him down because he's an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. And that's great. But the lack of ground and pound and the fact that he wasn't holding DJ down for like four minutes at a time, I'm surprised they, they when they looked at the round as a whole, they, the judges said, okay, that was the most dominant you know, offense we saw that round. Yeah, you know what? I think, I think honestly, sometime we need to get like, I know a few judges, referees. We should bring them on. Bring them on, talk to them, ask them questions because. That's fair. It, honestly, now, even, even in boxing, even MMA, certain coasts prefer certain, like, you know, for instance, like, if, if, if I'm a boxer, if I'm like someone like Sean Porter, I'd rather fight in the West Coast because they appreciate them coming forward and, and just throwing punches. You're right. That wins. But then you go to the, you go to the East Coast, that might not fly. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just think that depending where you're when, where you're at, the, the, I don't know. I don't understand these judges to be honest with you. But I feel like maybe from now on, I wish they'd do this. Like when you score, who you had winning that round, they should have a quick note why ground the pound, takedowns, punches. Well, they need to overhaul the scoring system. You can't use yeah, the boxing yeah. scoring system in MMA where the rounds are five minutes long and it's a different type of, of score. I mean, there's there's takedowns. There's other things you can do that build up points other than just hurting somebody. But, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, but at the same time, like the, the, the first thing is like the first thing I think about, you know what I'm saying, is like as a as a judge, you, you can re, you, you can like rehaul the, the whole scoring system, but let's make it easy. Who would you rather be? After that round ends, plain and simple, would you rather be the guy getting hit a hundred more times? If you have oh, that that mindset, though, and that's always been Max Kellerman's HBO boxing yeah. mindset, and I've disagreed with it because then you're giving all the eggs in the basket of power punching. Because you know in boxing, there's always those classic yeah, yeah, debatable yeah, rounds it. of what if I outbox you for two and a half minutes, but you hit me twice where I was staggering. Who wins the round? Well, it's like this, right? Also, you can take into consideration that, but damn, it's like – because the thing is like say – Say you hit me four times and I hit you twenty times and my twenty punches does nothing, but one of your punches cuts you wide open. You know, like you have to look at damage as well. You have to look, you have to look at a lot of things, but at the same time, like I don't want to get as a fighter, I don't want to get take no damage. So I'm I'm looking at it as a fighter, like you know what, like man, if I was that round, boy, I would rather be mighty my step round because man, he didn't get hit in the mouth, he ain't bleeding, he ain't cut, he got taken down, but nothing happened. You know what I'm saying? But then if I'm Sahudo. Damn, okay, I bet his eyes swollen or his eyes kind of sore, his nose. Like, I bet he's having a hard time, you know, just, just thinking, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, he took some shots. He was, after body. the fight, his face was all kind of blocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he got- so, so the thing is, yeah, so the thing is, like, 
think, I think of it that way. Like, man, I'm looking at both fighters. I see one guy breathing hard. I see the guy. I see one guy limping. Like, oh, who would ever the be? And based off what happened in that fight in that round, man, so and so that kicked the legs a lot. I see him limping. I'd rather be the guy that's doing the kicks. Like, if the it, it, it's weird because like only people that should be judging, in my opinion, are people that have had fight experience or people that are familiar with fighting. A lot of times, these judges, some of them weren't familiar with fighting at all and just became familiar after just watching fights and fights and fights. I feel like in Vegas and California, they took a lot of boxing judges too and they just kind of got them into MMA judging as well. And they're sort of like, oh, well, you know boxing, so you'll be fine over here. I mean, I'm not saying these guys didn't train and take lessons on judging, but it didn't seem like it matched up. I see too many Adelaide birds showing up at MMA fights. But that's see, that's that's nationwide. That's nationwide. I feel like, like, okay, you know what? If you want to be a, ref, a referee or judge, I said judge, referee or judge, you should, they should keep it separate. MMA, boom. If you want to do both, then make sure you do, make sure you're proficient in both or efficient. You know, you know both rules, you know everything about both. But you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of these judges. Maybe we should start a system where they have to roll with you at ATT for a day, and then you know, if they if they can survive, then they can judge. Well, not if they can. I, I, hey, that'd be great. Or have seminars. Hey, come spar with me, judges. You know, let y'all let y'all know what a ten nine a ten eight round really looks like. Yeah, it feels like. How about feels like is a better feels one. Feels like but I feel like they should be Mike Mazzuli. and the thing is like granted Mike Mazzuli is he's he's out there in the um out there the Mohegan Sun. Mm-hmm. His system is great. I feel like they should implement that system nationwide. Where 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 they where where the judges to become a judge, you have to shadow other judges and when you turn your scorecards in, they turn your scorecards in too to see if they're in line with the rest. If you're not in line after so many fights, then guess what? You shouldn't be a ref. Say you understand it and, and you're, 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 you're practicing and you're, you're, and you're, you're breaking things down. You're like, okay, I get, I get the fight this guy because you can tell a great reason and you explain to us why then you should be, be a judge because Adelaide Bird, I'm, when she, when she, when she, um, judged the Canelo Triple G fight, like I knew how she judges because she prefers the boxer more than the brawler or the person on the power punch, but she never explained why. I understood why, but she never explained it well. So she faced a lot of backlash after right. that fight. Let me ask you this: because we get mad at the commission for not removing judges when they screw up big time or whatever. What if the they in both sports they made the judges have to face the media afterwards, have to explain themselves? Would that improve the judging just on accountability? Hell yeah, it would. Because then, like, you have to explain why. If you if you made a mistake, you get exposed by the media. Because the media, they don't play around. They have people taking notes, like, okay, first round. And then somebody, one judge, like, you know, well, actually, in the second round, I gave it to him because he got rocked. And then they're like, oh, wrong, wrong, wrong. That was the first round. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> seriously, I remember Alex Davis told me one time, one of his fighters, because he's trying to, like, overturn the decision. One of the fighters lost the decision, and he recorded the fight from from the from the from the from the ringside. You know what I'm saying? Case on the floor, and he's watching. He's like, "How did this judge?" And he watched over again at the end of the first round. He saw the judge walking back to his seat. He missed the whole first round. Wow. The judge walked back to his seat and still scored the first round for somebody, even though he missed the whole first round. And he recorded it. He has it on film, and this, still nothing was done. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah. From the Cejudo standpoint of marketability, all right, His, uh, Hispanic American male, from, born in L.A., Mexican descent, speaks both Spanish and English fluently. Good-looking kid, Olympic gold medalist, uh, can talk trash a little bit, cocky, but yet humble at the same time. 
is this the guy to infiltrate the Hispanic market that UFC has never had, that they thought Kane could be and he wasn't. They thought maybe Eric Perez with the wrestling mask could be and he wasn't. Is this the guy, if he keeps winning, that they could make a crossover star? Uh, they could, but it's going to be hard for him to. It's going to be hard because it's going to be hard. I mean, they, have to, they have to be smart. They, the only time it's hard, they make it hard on themselves too. I feel like it's easy to market, tell a story. But the thing is, people, they know a story now. After he won, yeah, came from humble beginnings. All I mean, he's got a good, he's got that good marketable backstory that you you make those little vignettes about. Yeah, but they should market that from the get go. I think they wait and see on people. I really think UFC is like, oh, well, we're not going to waste our time unless this guy wins. Which, yeah, but the thing is, why wait and see? Because the thing is, like, if you tell stories, you might bring a new set of fans in. Because, like, for instance, like, say I'm I've, I I grew up in L.A. I'm Hispanic. I grew, I was raised like Henry Cejudo and them. And I don't know nothing about MMA, and I watch it. I'm like, oh, I like Henry Cejudo, but I really don't really, you know, there's something different about my, my feeling. And then I'm, I'm just, but I'm a fan of MMA. Let me watch more, because you might find somebody you might connect with that's Hispanic. But or I might be a Hispanic fan. I might not connect with Cejudo, but there might be other fighters on the roster that I can connect with. Offer just a story. A lot of times, a story will get your foot in the get get the foot in the door for the fans. I mean, get the fans foot in the door, and then the fans can determine if they like what they see. If they all like what they see, then they can look elsewhere in the room. That's what, that's what they need to do. That Mexican-American audience is the backbone still of boxing. And in pro wrestling, it's gigantic. I mean, WWE yeah. does a lot of business in Southern yeah. California, Texas. You know, obviously, the Lucha Libre thing in Mexico, that's that's the foundation okay. of it. Is there, from what you've seen, and this is a very generic sort of stereotyping question, but from what you've seen, is that a, a fan group where that, that, can, that the UFC can thrive in eventually? It just depends because now, okay, to me, Cejudo reminds me of a De La Hoya type. Clean cut, but will the Hispanics that watch it relate to him? Because De La Hoya, well, listen, when De La Hoya first got into boxing, people loved him. But they loved Chavez more. Yes. Then when Chavez left, they're like, okay, we like De La Hoya. But then when De La Hoya fought um, Vargas, whoa, it's like every, every Mexican I knew was like, F. De La Hoya, we're for Fernando El Faros. Yes, because Fernando's, was, yeah. yeah. And De La Hoya's the pretty boy. He's not born in Mexico. You know, yeah, all that. And, and everybody else, they, 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 they can relate to Fernando Vargas more. And I, th- I feel like Cejudo has that, has that, you know, he was born in Mexico. I think he was born in Mexico or born here. I'm not sure where. Born but in L.A. Born in L.A. But people can relate to him because he can speak Spanish. He's, his family's from there. But, like. I think the image is what's gonna hurt. Might 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 be a little different because he's too, almost too clean cut like De La Hoya. And the thing is, like a lot of times what you start to see with a lot of these MMA fighters, they're worried about their image so much that you never see any true realness from them. Everything That's is true. like crafted, like, hey, you know, gosh darn it, you know, they they they're, they're too vanilla because they don't want to lose things. Where if they keep it real, you might lose something, but you'll gain a lot more. Man, we need more gangsters in the sport. Never piss off a gangster. Uh, King Mo, I want to ask you about Mighty Mouse, and I have an interesting point to make. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you dominate for a long time, people begin to take it for granted. They begin to overlook the brilliance of it. I think certainly because Mighty Mouse has never been a marketable guy, that has become the thing. Some people look down and go, oh, yeah, that guy's really good. But you know what? He's fighting flyweights. Nobody cares. Blah, blah, blah. He's dominating. He's not, I don't know, whatever, flashy enough when reality is. He's incredibly flashy in there. I mean, he can feel, he can submit you, can knock you out, can do a lot of different things. But he's never really been human. 
And it's always the, def- the, the thing I've said about Floyd Mayweather is he beat the game. He tricked all these people into, into hating him. So they'll buy the pay-per-views in hopes that they'll see, that they'll see him lose. But the reason why he'll never be beloved in the long run is because he was never human in, inside the ring. He never had to battle back from like crazy adversity where we go, you know what? I hate that guy, but man, I got to respect him. Whereas like Ali, Muhammad Ali hated for the first half of his career for many different reasons, but became essentially a cult hero in the second half because he would battle back and find ways to win. And it's it's a weird debate because you're essentially penalizing somebody for being too great. I think Mighty Mouse has had a bit of that in his run. And true or false, the loss to Cejudo and now the potential of a trilogy gives Mighty Mouse the chance to extend his legacy further than he could have by never losing at flyweight. Because what if he battles back from injury and loss here, defeats Cejudo, has a victorious mountaintop moment, and then we go, wow, that guy's got some heart and balls, man. That's like GSP coming back against Sarah. Suddenly he could become beloved. Is that a real thing, or did I just make up a, a, a bowl full of crap? No, no, that's a real thing, but at the same time, like, I feel like Ali was left because Ali was with, was with the people. When he went to Zaire, he was with the people. Everywhere he went, he was with the people. Mighty Mouse, like, I always see him with the people. He's kind of like a like recluse, kind of. It's kind of quiet. That's fair. The, the people that are loved, you see them with people. Floyd Mayweather ain't never with the people. He's with bodyguards, throwing money around so people can't really get close to him. The the ones that are cool, like Shannon Briggs, people love him now because he's, let's go champ. He's with the people. He's always with the people. Seriously, think about it. The people that are loved, in, in sports are the ones you see with the people. LeBron James is with the people. He's, in, he's out there communicating with the people, being seen, doing interviews, being seen with normal people. Um, Floyd, you don't see, every time you see Floyd, he's like with like, like, um, what's that one rich dude from Vegas? Um, I forgot his name. There's the beard. Um, he's, he's like rich. Uh, I can't think of his name. I can't think of who you're thinking of. Big Beard, he's always like he's, like, he's famous on Instagram. I never, I never even heard of him until Instagram. Um, white guy? <laughs> yeah, white dude, Big Beard. Oh, I Vegas. know the dude you're talking about. I don't know his name. I know exactly who you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you see Floyd, you see Floyd with people like that. Justin Bieber, Triple H. You never see Floyd with like the average person across the street. Never. That's interesting. I, I don't know. I think, I think if Mighty Mouse can do that, then suddenly we go, all right, I give that guy credit. Blah. Blah, blah. Yeah, but the thing is that why should you give somebody, somebody credit for coming back after a loss when they've been winning so much? That's the weird like, thing. I feel like- we, we like second chances in America. We like comeback stories more than we like outright dominance. We, you know what I'm saying? Like people love the Michael Jordan flu game a lot more than they do Jordan dominating people. I mean, like that. It just it comes down to that. We want to we want to relate to people. They've never been able to relate to Floyd, and you're right. Maybe the problem for DJ is just that he's a little bit too much of a recluse. He's a little bit too cocky at times. He sort of gives off that he doesn't really care about this whole sport game as much. Like, fans want the fighters to live and die with every loss and win, and not treat it like a business. They wanted to treat it like like the fans treat it. And DJ's always just sort of like, yeah, whatever, I'm I'm great, it's okay. Maybe and this would smart. be... Yeah, maybe this would be the thing that bridges that gap with people. I'm not sure it matters to DJ. Maybe it won't matter in the long run, but it's an interesting take. One more thing. The reign is over. 11 title defenses. He was the only champion in flyweight history. Hasn't lost, you know, hadn't lost going back to what since, uh, since the Dominic Cruz fight. Is that the greatest, is that the, the best title reign in UFC history in your mind? 
because it's an interesting debate, King Mo. Right away, you're like, well, yeah, it's 11 title defenses. It's great. But Anderson George. it's not like and, he was beating yeah. Hall of Famers in that run. I'm going to offer you this, and then I want to hear your take. I still think John Jones is eight title defenses, mm-hmm. and specifically that run where he went through all those former champions in a row, Shogun, Machida, Rampage, Rashad, uh, Belfort, who almost tapped him out. That run, I don't think anyone's beaten that. That was incredible. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to beat it right now, but it will be beat. Everything is beat. Uh, and the thing is, that it's going to be somebody. It, it could be Cejudo that does it. Who knows? Man? But at the same time, like, I think the person I get the most credit for it for doing it would be somebody like 185 or 205 or heavyweight. That's fair. A guy, a guy at 155 or 170 won't get it for some reason. They just won't get it. Everybody's looking at the bigger guys, you know what I'm saying? Because I guess there are more dangerous people there and more knockouts. So bigger guys, 205ers, 185ers and up, will get that credit. Yeah, I mean, it's inter- interesting how one fight can change everything. It's sort of like the heavyweights with Miocic. We were like, oh, there's nobody left for him to face. Then DC wins, and we're like, I want to see this fight and this fight. And now with Cejudo, like, yes, he should be headed into a trilogy with DJ, but we didn't care that much about Flyweight coming in. And now suddenly I'm like, oh, my God, Benavidez, Cejudo 2 for the title. Love it, right? Like, I want to see all these guys line up and get a chance. It's just interesting and fickle yeah, how but, the game but Benavidez, is. But Benavidez is tough, but I don't think Benavidez deserves the title shot. Like, I don't, he might get one, but. He just lost. That doesn't help his case. I mean. I know, yeah, but if, if you know, but if, if, if they don't give Mighty Mouse a rematch, immediate rematch right away, then I think the fans said, boy, like, boycott. Like, yeah. how can you disrespect a champion and not give him a title shot, a reshot, a re, like a, like a reshot to get his, uh, belt back? Like, how, how like, they, they've done before, but like, Mighty Mouse lost by split decision. If he don't get a chance to run it back, in his first fight back, then that shows there's a big problem in the UFC, and they don't really care about the fighters, or they're great fighters, to say. I wish DJ would just be like, if if he doesn't get it, let's say he doesn't get it, then I wish he would call up Dana White and go, all right, F you, I'm fighting TJ right now, ban him wait for the title. That'd be interesting. It'd be interesting, but at the same time, like, it's about respect. Yeah, you know? oh, you're right. He and, wouldn't do it without without the respect and the in the and, money. And, and the thing is that right there, if he took it, the Dan White could be like, you know what? Well, you messed up. And if he does that, Dan White could be, could be like, all right, that's a good fight. Or be like, you know what? You lost your last fight. You messed up. So who knows taking that fight right now? We're going to put you on the shelf. We all know what's going to happen because they've been very inconsistent on what they've been doing over the past few years. So right now, for us to speculate on what's going to happen next, we should be speculating what's going to happen next. We should actually have an idea, like, hey, close, close fight. Can't wait for the rematch trilogy. You know, they did it with they did it with Diaz and 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 Connor. And Connor got he got finished, and they gave him a re- immediate rematch. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they don't do the same thing for Mighty Mouse, it's a travesty. And fans just start speaking out. If you're a Mighty Mouse fan and and he don't get an immediate rematch, y'all should speak out. Call the UFC. Write letters to UFC because. I, 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 to me, that that's that. If that happens, that will leave a bad taste in my mouth. I'm with you on that one completely. Uh, well, a little bit of news note I wanted to get your take on. We know that in June the bare knuckle fighting championship uh, debuted their first bare knuckle boxing card in Wyoming. It was a big hit. Apparently, it did 150 thousand pay per view buys, <laughs> which not bad considering the circumstances and this climate of pay per view. Well, there's a new federation that came out called the World Bare Knuckle Fighting Federation that, of course, we already knew 
is putting out a main event that involves Chris Lieben against Phil Baroni. There's some, there's some washed love right there. We're also going to see a tournament that includes Melvin Gallar, Josh Neer, a couple other UFC fighters. Well, guess what? They also, they meaning the WBKFF, just signed former NFL linebacker and all pro Sean lights out Merriman to a deal and he's going to fight on a card to be announced later this year. Your thoughts, Kingwell? He's fighting, I heard he's fighting Tyler King. Who is that? You know, former MMA fighter. He's going to fight Amir Ali Bari in a uh, Risen. Um, he fought my boy Jared Kikini, um, in Canada. Tyler I think last Marauder year. Tyler King, yes. Yeah, I heard he's going to fight Tyler King. 37 years heard- old. Yeah, heavyweight, 12 and 7 career record coming off a three fight losing streak. Interesting. King Mo, um, this specific federation is, so the first one, that other bare knuckle one, they tried to make it MMA friendly and they had a card full of MMA guys like we talked about from Rico Rodriguez through Joey Beltran and Beck Rawlings and they allowed you to hold and hit. This federation is allowing you to do like spinning back fists and some other wild MMA type stuff. They're going to have more tolerance for holding. Is this a, uh, I mean, is this a place where MMA guys will, will continue to go? I mean, is this a draw? Is this appealing? It doesn't seem like boxers care about this. Yeah, because the thing is that like, I thought, you know, I think that it's like pretty much dirty boxing. It's pretty much dirty. It's a, it's a sport. It's called dirty boxing with spinning back fists and punches. No kicks, no takedowns, but everything else goes. I feel like when you allow spinning back fists, that ch- it's good, but at the same time, like it won't, it'll change the speed, the pace to fight up because now people are gonna be more weary instead. Of, you know, they won't be weary of like punches coming forward and uppercuts, but spinning back fists. You get a scary, scary MMA fighter or a person, a boxer that has never dealt with MMA, then they will get knocked out or they'll be very tentative and stay behind a jab and fight long. I thought they just keep it the name, keep it the way it normally is and allow some dirty boxing, but you know, whatever. I, well, let's see. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the spinning back fist might work, but you know, um, I don't know. I, let's see what happens. Maybe we'll get Emmanuel Newton King Mo three in a bare knuckle competition. Hey, like I already said, I talked I talk, I talk to them. I'm like, look, when I'm done, Doing it with Bellator, I'd gladly come to bare knuckle boxing. That's fun. Just way for me to stay in shape, me, me, for me to compete here and there. And that's about it. You know it's weird? only is it two minute a, rounds. Yeah, it is, and it's in a boxing ring, and all the media is referring to it as boxing matches. Yet both organizations do not have the word boxing in their title, and I think that's strategic. And you're seeing a lot of MMA interest. To close on Sean Merriman for NFL fans out there, he's been around MMA for a while. He's been showing up to Bellator and UFC fights cards. What do you know about his potential fighting ability? Is this? Do you think this is just let's get some headlines, or can this, is this guy going to be a problem in this space? I think he'll be a problem in this space. He's in shape. Um, people don't know this, but he's been hitting mitts and training for a long time. He actually started training with um, Melcher Menor, a f- famous, world-renowned world, world uh, kickboxer. Um, and he was training Merriman. And I just watched some videos. Merriman has some hands. He can actually kick, knee, elbow. But I don't know who he's been training with as of late. But I know that when, when I seen of him years ago, when I first started fighting, he had some skills. He had some hands. He he could punch. He had some pop. He was quick. He's only 34. Yeah, that's crazy because he's a baby. But, you know, let's see how he re- reacts under the stress of being under those lights because that's when things change. Once those lights hit you and the crowd starts cheering and clapping, you hear them announce your name, that's when people that aren't used to fighting or combat are like, oh, man, it's real. It's about to happen. And they get nervous. 
Have you ever been nervous inside of the uh, octagon or the cage? I mean, or is it, hey, Campbell, you're always nervous because if you're not nervous, you're not alive. What, where, where do you fall on that? I don't get nervous. I'm just like, whatever, man, it's time to go. It's action. I'm, I'm like, let's go. I'm not, I'm not like, no, man. I'm just like, no, it's time to go. I've been training. Whatever happens, happens. But you know what? I'm going to have fun. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's all about having fun, man, because you want to win. But in reality, when you really win is when you're really having fun and you're getting paid for it. You That's the, just a true win. On um, September 28th, 2008, in your pro debut in Japan against Travis, uh, how do you pronounce that? You, Woof? Travis Few. Woof. No, I wasn't. Look how I came out. <laughs> I, I, I came out because I, I, really, I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun, man. I want to get paid. That's all that matters, really. Having fun, getting paid, and then the rest will come. Like all the fans, legacy, and all that other stuff, people talking about you, what you've done, that will come later. Just worry about what you're doing. In the time being. All right, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, King Bo, let's not bury the lead here on, on this past week. Friday, UFC 25th anniversary fall news conference in L.A. the day before 227. It was supposed to be a, hey, let's announce the, the, the quarterly press conference they do when they bring out the 10, 12, 15 fighters that have big fights coming up. Usually a lot of trash talk. I love those events. This one was very interesting because... It was actually a secret that was well kept. We were like, is Connor and, and Habib gonna be there? Are they actually gonna have enough big name fighters to make this ceremony feel like something? Well, they not, the story, the, the bout got broken the day before that Nate Diaz is coming back and is facing Poirier. We'll get to that in a second. You started to feel like business was picking up. And then they asked Dana White, what about Connor? Are we close? He lied and said, we're close, but there's no deal. But they ended the press conference with Dana throwing to the video. And indeed, we have a deal. The next October 6th, it's Las Vegas. It's UFC 229, Habib versus Connor. They weren't there at that press conference, but this is a monster announcement, King Mo. Uh, you hear that sound? It's cash registers, certainly. But uh, to be honest, it's the health of the sport, not just UFC, but all of MMA going in the right direction. It really is when you bring back a guy who has Tiger Woods-like appeal to the sport where people that don't care about MMA are like, whoa, that guy's fighting, I got to see it. We can't argue that Conor McGregor got to that crossover level. He's back, rising tides, pick up all them damn ships. This is a big deal. Were you moved by it? Do you care? Is this going to break the pay-per-view record? King Mo, you're always the realist, all right? What do you got for me here? Because I'm fired up even though I've got moral objections. Get to that in a second. What are you feeling? Well... I don't know yet because really I'm looking at this fight like okay Connor's gonna lose. <laughs> I'm like I'm look, I, I, from what I've seen Connor's best bet is get a knockout punch, land a big shot. But really I'm I'll be more fired up once it gets closer because we're, really right now don't forget we're still kind of what a month month and a half away from it. It's still pretty so soon guess, though. This is quick. Yeah. This is a like I, Dana I, said we much, can't yeah. do an international tour. It's too you know it's too soon. We gotta yeah, just yeah, do this. Yeah, fight. I, I just want to see what happens. I just want because the thing is like Habib has bad luck, Connor might have some bad luck now. Let's see what happens. It gets closer because right now what, what I don't want to what, what I don't want to see you do is get fired up and be like yeah it's coming it's coming all set but Mo <laughs> it happened you were right. Oh man, injury bug. What's the uh-huh. gonna do? You know who are they gonna who's gonna step in and take the spot in that card? We had something good big coming coming in and now it's ruined with the injury. Get Tony like, Ferguson up in the bullpen. That's what I say to that. Hey, the Vegas lines came out minus one seven five for Habib, plus one fifty five for Connor. You think that's about right? I, I'm not. I'm not against that. That's about right in my eyes. Yeah, 
I think I think I think honestly, I think Habib should be a bigger um a, a bigger favorite. Well, the Same. idea of two years off, okay, cage rush, ring rush, whatever you want to call it, for, it's a real thing most of the time. I kind of feel like, and tell me if I'm just drinking the juice, that that wouldn't affect somebody like Connor because he's so mentally tough. He stayed relatively in shape and busy training. He did have a Floyd fight, so it's like he was he he's been busy. He's not been sitting around. He's always willing to fight anybody at any time, last minute notice, move up and wait. I feel like he's that dude who's not going to matter. I think it's going to matter for him because the thing is, like, yeah, he might have been training. Now, if he can get if he get the fight standing, great. But he's been training, training for he's training for Floyd. He's training with who's with, what, what wrestlers is he training with? What because the thing is, I'm like I'm like this. I know how B can wrestle. I know I've heard stories about him wrestling and sparring with Ed Ruth and handling Ed Ruth and sparring, not handling him, but like. Getting, getting a little better, getting the better of him just a little bit in sparring. Oh, Ed like Ruth is a monster. You know what I'm saying? A weight class above. Habib is competitive with this guy in training. Who does Connor have to give him that feel for a wrestler or a grappler of some sort? He can get whoever, he can get Jordan Burroughs. Right now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help him because to master wrestling and to understand sprawl, it takes time. Think about this. Think about all the fighters from years ago that were getting taken down. Andrew Silva was getting taken down left and right. By, um, by, tra- by by Travis Luter, right? Getting taken down left and right by Dan Henderson. But as time, years passed, Derek Bronson can take him down. Derek Bronson has an arguably, arguably, arguably better takedown or shot interest than any of those guys I named. So it takes time. It takes years to develop takedown defense. I'm seeing Connor defend takedowns versus Diaz, and he's doing it, but it's not good enough to stop what Habib is doing. Because he, if you watch what Connor does technically, he pulls you up to his waist. Habib is so strong, Habib will bear hug him, drag him to the ground, and submit him. Like he has to, he has to. Like from what I, what I see, it's hard for me to get excited about the fight because I know what Connor's deficient in. But every fight starts ending, so that's the exciting part right there. Well, the exciting part to me is that the strength of one guy is the weakness of the other. So mm-hmm. we know Connor can't wrestle, and you know Mendez was all over him until he ran out of gas. But at the same time, the only time we've seen Habib threatened or weakened really was when he walked into some shots from Michael Johnson. Of course, he destroyed Johnson afterwards, but you're like, ooh, is that the opening for Connor? I mean, if it, if if you can only kill a werewolf with a silver bullet, does Connor have that silver bullet to catch Habib coming in? But I guess if you're going to weigh, do I, do I take a chance on Connor's punching or do I take a chance on Habib turning it into a Habib fight? That's why he's the favorite. And on top of that, the pressure, because... Habib puts so much pressure on Connor. If Connor doesn't stop him in the first two rounds, he's gonna gas. Yeah, does he have? Because you know Connor's stamina issues has have been the only problem besides his wrestling, right? I mean, ran out of gas badly against Nate Diaz in the first fight, and almost did in the rematch. And you give him credit for gutting it out. Diaz McGregor too, a classic slugfest. But that fight, did it go to the ground at all? I mean, how much more taxing, King Mo? Honestly, is it to be in a war on your feet or to defend? Someone who's trying to wrestle for your soul. To be honest, what's more taxing? Defending takedowns because the anxiety of them coming. Like a, a punch, you can you like this. Move, 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 move. You can just. But a takedown, if you're threatened by a takedown, then all of a sudden you go from high stance to sprawl. Hands come down. So you're doing this. You're doing this. You're not breathing. You're doing this. You're reacting to what they're doing, and you're getting tired as it happens. Interesting. One thing, though, Habib does not have is – he hasn't faced an elite level opponent on this level. 
and he hasn't. Uh, well, maybe I mean, look. I mean, he fought RDA, right? I mean, that, that's the breakthrough win that that put him on our map. But Habib hasn't fought in a headlining pay per view role of this type of level. You know, two twenty three with Ayakinta was a different story. Is there any chance that he's that in that moment when the lights are as bright as you say they are, right? There's a there's a difference between getting in the cage and seeing the bright lights and getting in the cage on a potential two million buy pay per view. Is there anywhere where the experience factor with Connor will be bigger? Or is that just my making up? Nah. No, you know, I, I, I understand what you're talking about. It's a good point. Let me, like, first, let me bring this issue up. This is this reason why this fight is another reason why this fight is so enticing is because it's old school MMA. It's striker versus grappler. It's a, it's a matchup that, like, if really think about it, it's a pure striker versus a pure grappler. We haven't seen that in a long time. Think about it. I, I can't think about the time you saw, besides when Damian Maya fought somebody, or if Damian Maya fought Wonderboy, that would be like pure grappler versus pure striker. You know, but. I, I, I don't know. I, I, when it comes down to it, man, like, um, this fight will sell. This fight will do good. But I just think when it, I think Habib's mental game is too strong. That's the I think key. The fact, That's the key. I, I think, I think the fact that I've been to Mahashtalab where he's from, I've been to Dagestan. For, for people to make it from there, if you can make it from there, you can make it anywhere. If you, if, if you've seen, if you've seen the, the, what you've seen out there, you can handle whatever you can see here in America or in the cage. Um, and that thing that helps Habib is he's a very devout Muslim. And I feel like sometimes people, when they, like, Vander Holyfield, when they use religion, they use that as a way to, as a, like a, as a power source in a sense. They use that for motivation. They use that as their rock. So if things go bad, they can fall back in religion to make sure everything's okay. I feel like that's what Habib does. Habib is a very strong in Ramadan. He's very spiritual. He's close to his people. I don't think there's anything. And if you know something about Habib, he's always with his people. I don't think I don't think I don't think anything's out there that can shake him. He's a stone cold killer. Uh, He's a stone cold killer. I want to ask you this one thing. It's it's a weird question. So that's what Habib certainly has going for him: the stone cold killer, the fact that he seems mentally unbreakable. But you can't deny there was magic in Conor McGregor's rise, right? There were fights where we doubted him, and then I mean, let's be honest, fluke or not, dude, he walked in against Jose Aldo, the guy, and floored him with the first punch, and it's like. What? Like, there was magic that followed him up on his rise. Yeah. Ma- enough magic, King Mo. Let's be really honest. Where even some non-casuals were saying, maybe he can't put a fist on Floyd's chin. I mean, this guy seems to just have some type of weird hand guiding his career. Is that magic gone because of the Floyd loss and because of the two-year break? Or is that magic in play in this fight? I know it's a weird kind of cosmic question maybe it's bs but connor has this ability in the big moments to be bigger than you think he can be is that going to be something habib's got to watch out for okay so what you said was interesting so let me let me let me, let me go my way so you have roy jones jr Olympi- he was olympian people knew him. he came out flashy everybody's on him roy jones roy jones roy jones then you have Bernard Hopkins, you know, he came first fight out, lost the first fight, got fit time in jail, came out, won fights, beat, beat Equals, Segundo Mercado, lost to Roy Jones, came back, kept on fighting. He got it from the mud. He started from the bottom. Nobody, Connor started from the bottom, but at the same time, like, he got a lot of love and a lot of support. Habib started from the bottom and no support from the UFC. Think about it. This guy's undefeated, and it took him. So long to get a title shot or even get mentioned for a title shot by the UFC. 
He was undefeated. He also missed two Unde- years because of injury and came back yeah, like yeah, nothing yeah, happened. But he missed two years because the injury. But the thing is, like, Conor has magic because I think part of the magic is because, like, he has hype behind him. And the UFC is like, you know what? We'll, we'll give you a fast track to the belt. Oh, you know what? Dang it, you're going to fight so-and-so? Well, let's replace him with Chad Mendez. Not Frank Yeager, because Frank Yeager might be too dangerous and shit, but we'll give you Chad Mendez because we know he gasses. But we notice you'll fight Chad Mendez, win the belt. Once you win that, we'll see. We might have you fight Aldo. The Aldo fight happened. No rematch. You know what? We're going to move you up because we know you're the man. He got preferential treatment because he's a star. Where Habib has a chip on his shoulder. That's interesting. Like, Habib was a chip on his shoulder. Like, like Habib, Habib was the redhead stepchild. Like, no one cared about, like, I care about Habib. That's my, I love him. He's a great fighter. But a lot of people in the UFC, they didn't care about him. Think about it. After he beat, after he beat RDA, what happened? Well, he got hurt. I, I, he was out for two years. Yeah, so he, you, know, he, you know, he got hurt. But, but after he beat him, like, people were like, ah, oh, it's a good win. But they weren't like, great win. They're like, good win, you know. Uh, they kind of dismissed it. And they're like, well, you beat RDA. They dismissed the fact that RDA is a beast, too. Think about it. Back then, when he won, they kind of dismissed that. They just they dismissed a lot of stuff that that um Habib was done. If you truth be told, he beat Iaquinta. Ah, yeah, he beat Iaquinta. So, yeah, he beat Barbosa. Yeah, he beat Barbosa. Yeah. Well, he did so kind of break he, UFC's heart by getting. Uh, remember the the weight cut situation with UFC two hundred three, yeah. and he had to pull out of the Ferguson fight. And I think that does wear UFC guys, you know, Dana White and company down. And then he's always been sort of hard to, to nail down a big fight because of the Ramadan and the fasting. Yeah. And, and, and I, look, I'm not, I'm not defending, you know, either side. I'm just saying, I think that's part of where he never became a golden boy. They didn't know if they could trust him. My opinion is, my opinion, I think it's different. I think it's more than that. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's like kind of like, okay, Dana White supports Donald Trump. Think about it. Think about it. You have a champion named Habib. How marketable is that? Habib Nurmagomedov. How yeah. could you market that name to America, especially now that we have a president that wants to do like a Muslim ban or want to do a Muslim ban? We have all this stuff going on. How could you push Habib Nurmagomedov from Mahashala in Russia? <laughs> Come on, think about that it. That is a think very fair the, point. The, the, the Marathon Bomber, once that happened, everyone was like, oh, the Marathon Bomber, he's from, that's where Habib's from. Come on, that's why. Oh, Habib's from that region. Like those, like I just feel like that. Like the fact that he's a devout Muslim and he had the name like that, and like he's not really American. I think that might hurt him a little bit because Connor's from Ireland. And one thing I can say about people in America is, you can meet anybody, and they'll either tell you, "Oh, I'm Cherokee, I'm Italian, I'm German, or I'm Irish." That's what you hear. You know what I'm saying? And I think that you, like, Conor McGregor, had that it factor. In Ireland, and it came over here because a lot of people in America can relate to Ireland because they have blood, they have, they have like you know um, ancestors from there. Look at Dana White. Dana White, Irish, came from Boston. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like they wanted to push that more. The fighting Irish in America, like just the Irish, the Irish thing is hot in America. The Muslim Russian thing ain't. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I can't argue against that. Uh, I want to say if this was in New York, it feels like it would have been a bigger deal from the sense of like the amount of Russians and Irish fans that would have been there. It would have been a more of a fans fight. You put it in Vegas, they're going to get more money. They're going to get a bigger site fee. You get why it's in Vegas, right? Less taxes, all that stuff. And it's, I'm not saying the fans of both won't travel, but, but there's no, you don't really feel the fan base like you do in New York when, no, I don't care if you're Gennady Golovkin, suddenly there's 10,000 Cossacks there. I mean, seriously, like the fans in New York just find you. Well, I'm gonna be real with you. If they, if they, what they should have done 
If they want to be gangster with, they should went to Moscow. Yes. Hard at Putin and be like, hey, Putin, we're coming to the, the UFC's coming to the, um, to Moscow or, or wherever. Would you like to buy the event from us? Cause it's a big event. It's Connor versus Habib. You don't think Putin would be like, you know what? Okay. Let's, let, let's throw out all the big stops. They paid 27 was- million for Klitschko Povetkin in a fight that the U.S. promoters were bidding like two million to try to get the yeah. Russian people bid twenty-seven million. You're telling me they wouldn't bid an obscene amount? A maybe I don't know. See, we don't know what kind of money comes out of Vegas, though. Why does Floyd fight there every single time? Right? There's site fees that are. Don't think site fees that Floyd was stuck to a contract because because Dubai offered a lot of money to go out there, but he couldn't take it because he's stuck to an MGM Grand con- um, yes. contract. But the thing is, like, think about like think about like like. The, you know, when Usyk fought Gasayev, right, a few weeks ago, that was a big fight. Every Russian in my gym was talking about it. But every, a lot of people in boxing were talking about it because it's a big fight. But I know they spent a lot of money on that because it was two major Russian stars fighting in Russia. Now, could you imagine Putin likes, we saw pictures of Putin and Connor hanging out. Yeah. Then you have Habib, who's from Russia. Like, in Moscow, that'd be a perfect event. That'd be big. It'd be, I think, it'd be like, it'd be like Rocky. It'd be just like Rocky, it except really you would. got instead of having Rocky in there, you have Conor McGregor. I mean, Conor McGregor. That Rocky. sells its hey, but the truth is, it sells itself anywhere. Will it sell itself to the level of two million pay per view buys? The, the record, by the way, for UFC, even though UFC doesn't report their pay per view buys, the the reported record is one point six five million for Conor Nate to. I say this beats that. Will it get to two million? Now my knee jerk is yes, and I think it could. I the two month build though is interesting. You'd think that if it was a four or five month build, they can do the wild press conferences. You'd get more of a buzz because look, those wild press conferences, you get it on Sports Center. That that means something. Will this do two million in a short turnaround? Yes or no? I'm not sure. I think it can, but the thing is that now what you're starting to see is you're starting to see more and more streaming services come out. So everybody's big on streaming, and now it doesn't help that like. The the ESPN people have to pay for the ESPN streaming. Sure. You know what I'm saying? They got to pay for the Zone. They got to pay for everybody. You know, because if you're an MMA fan right now, you or a boxing fan right now, you got to pay for a lot. And what you're starting to see is people starting to stream things. Like Connor, like, let's let's be real. Floyd versus Pacquiao was streamed like crazy. Connor versus Floyd was streamed Illegal, like crazy. Probably saying. the more than probably the more. Yeah. Probably more streaming. So it's, I, I feel like now, but, people but are at the to, same time, we could say Connor or we could say Connor Floyd was streamed illegally. It was also legally bought four point four million yeah, times. No, so. no, but my, 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 my point, my point is that Connor versus Floyd should have beat um, Floyd versus Pacquiao. But what happened is it, it, people now you see more and more people streaming. I, I think they, I think they'll it could, it'll break two, it could break two million. I think it could smash two million if they covered the streaming part. But I just don't know. I think it'll break it, but. I don't know how much by, you know, it could. I just don't know. You know, you never know. You never know what's going to happen because that's, that's um, October 6th, right? Yes. So football season. So they just better cross their fingers. They ain't no big football games. They better cross their fingers. It's like conference play because conference play, no one really cares about. The first two games, first three games of the regular season is what everybody cares about because that's when you see the big games, like the Big Ten versus the Big 12 this and that, ACC versus SEC games. You see those games, the first three games of the college season. All right, let's, let's just hope that big yeah, games are right, no big games once, on Friday. Once they get Connor and, and Habib talking trash on SportsCenter, I, look, it's just it's a casual fan. This is one of those rare UFC fights that's equally a casual fan's dream 
because of the storylines of the bat, you know, the boss and the back and forth. And look, really, there's an Ali Frazier element. Connor never lost his belt and is coming back to face the unbeaten champion. And it's also a hardcore fan fight stream because it's the two best fighters in the best division in the sport. And stylistically, like we talked about, it's fantastic. So it's great. But King Mo, there is that elephant, that moral elephant in the room. Let's just talk about it for the last time. Connor mm-hmm. is not getting disciplined at all by the UFC for the bus incident. When they rolled out that video on Friday, the bus incident was the centerpiece of how they're selling this fight. Mm-hmm. I, I feel a little dirty. I think it's the right move. It's certainly the right move business wise. I think even all things considered, yes, it's the right move for UFC. You got to strike while the iron's hot. Let's do this fight now. But it's hard for me to digest what the precedent sets. Like, yes, you're always going to be lighter. I don't care if it's high school football or UFC. If a guy's a star, you're going to be lighter on how you punish him, right? That's just how it is. It's just, it, it is what it is, all right? But King Mo, like, this was, this was really bad. And, and now they're just like, oh yeah, the, the law dealt with it. The law dealt with it. Well, He's getting community service. It's not a big deal. Well, let's, right. well, let's be real. It's, it's really bad because the year before that, in Madison Square Garden, he slapped somebody. Connor he in, slaps in, in Europe. Yeah, remember? No, in Europe. At the in Bellator. Bellator. Yeah, at Bellator. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, I thought it was New York. Okay, in Europe. I thought it was New York. My, my bad. In England. In London, yeah. He slapped somebody. Like, in London, yeah. So, like, they see the history, a pattern of his history. They see what he's doing, but yet nothing's going to happen. So, really, it's I saw the UFC. I can't, I can't, you can't be mad at Connor for that. Blame that on the UFC. But the UFC gave that- all they gave not only are they rewarding his his actions by using it as as publicity, they rewarded his actions by giving him this fight. And I think I mean we don't know what the negotiation played out like. We don't know how much Connor's making, but I feel like by not punishing him, they gave they put it they gave him the advantage because now now they need him more than he needs them still. It's just weird, King Mo here and you have to ask me. How would it, what would fix it, Campbell? Would it be, let's wait six months to do this fight and have Connor serve a fake suspension? No, that doesn't fix it. You know what would fix it? And it's really stupid to say, but it's true. It would fix it if they were honest. If Dana White came out and was like, does this look bad? Yeah. Is this the biggest fight ever and we have to do it? Yeah. I, I, that would almost be better for me. It's just like the Brock thing. If Dana White would sit down and just explain the Brock's steroid suspension thing and, and just be like, honestly, guys, here's the deal. Nobody moves product like Brock. He's getting special treatment, yes. You know what? I'd actually feel better and respect that. You want to know why the only baseball steroid users people forget about are the ones that actually admit it? Jason Giambi admitted it. Andy Pettit admitted it. Nobody cares anymore. It's the guys who deny, deny, deny that we hold on to. If Dana White was like, here's the deal, folks. It's a business. It's not about ethics. It's about business. I, Campbell, would get off my moral high spot and just be like, all right, you said it. We're good. Yeah, but we can't because if he does that, then you're going to see lawsuits. You're going to see people, investigations. Like, you know, because it's, it's, it's almost corrupt in a sense. Um, the thing is, the problem with Dana White is he talks like Trump. Like, you never get the truth from him. Remember, we're not some of the UFC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brock's oh, not coming yeah. back at oh. UFC 200. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Box is dead. Oh, well, we're not interested in boxing. Okay. Oh, um, so and so they'll never he'll never fight in the UFC. Women will never like all, you know, like the truth coming from Dan's mouth, you won't hear in an interview, but you hear one on one. And I think it's gonna take somebody to do a one on one sit down with them because in a big interview, like a, a scrum, 
you can't get that because then if he says say, were to say something like that, then people will be asking him. You get blasted with questions like, why this? Why did it go 10 years ago? They go now. But if he's a one-on-one sit-down with ESPN or somebody or with you, and you're and he was like, you know what? I'm going to be real with you. You know, um, Brock gets preferential treatment because he, you know, he moves product, moves numbers. He's a star. Connor, same thing. Diaz, now he does. Before, when he came, we weren't sure about him. If, if he just be real, but the thing about Dana is, I don't think he'll ever see runners because Dana himself plays a character. Dan, Dana, we're seeing, that's somebody else. It's a fake character. He plays a character. So you're not seeing the true him. You're seeing a character. Hey, nobody's better than King Mo. No, I think that's a good take. Uh, we got only a couple minutes left. We got to go, but the fallout from Friday was interesting when they launched the video of Connor Habib. Guess who walked out of the press conference? Nate Diaz. It was like, F y'all. He instantly sends a tweet that basically said, F UFC, I'm not fighting on that date. And then outside tells a bunch of different cameras, including TMZ, a bunch of stuff. How much he's like, UFC better start promoting me. I'm not taking this fight because he didn't. By the way, this Connor thing was such a surprise. Even Nate didn't know. Nate is trying to say that he couldn't fight the last two years because he was being sued. Then he's also trying to say that Dana has been lying for two years, that he never once turned down the fight. And it's it's a very interesting situation. King Mo, do you think, from what you know about Nate, and he's hard to read, obviously, but here's a guy that the fans love. He got the ovation he got when he did that face-off with Poirier was incredible. Does he have a beef here? I mean, like, should he have known about the Connor fight? Would he have signed if he would have known about the Connor fight? What, how do you sort this all out? Is Man. this disrespectful to the, to Nate as a fighter? I think what they should have done, if they want to be real, is, okay, have Nate fight Tony Ferguson. But is he angry have about pay-per-view? Is he angry about not being on the same card? Like, what is his beef ultimately in your eyes? Not getting the Connor fight? I, I think I think both. Not getting the, 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 the respect, the Connor fight... Being lied on, I think it's a, a bunch of things. Cause I think that, and then Habib, like, cause don't forget he had beef with Habib as well. Oh yeah, he you said, so, he said in the same interview that he has slapped Habib before and Habib and all his guys did nothing. That's gangster, Kingbo. That's, that's, that's gangster. I know that's false though. I saw the video cause my boy was there at the World Series of Fighting. Like it was an all out brawl. Like my boy was there. He, he sent me the video and he was like, he was there with Diaz, the Diaz boys. And he's like, it's crazy cause Habib, like, I don't know if he got involved, but all his Russian friends got involved. Was, I saw the video and it was crazy. Like I can see, I can tell he's getting beat up, but I know somebody's getting beat up. I can tell which side it was on, but you know, I can see, I can see any Russians or anybody with Habib letting Habib get touched without any type of retaliation. Same thing with Diaz. I can't see Habib or anybody slapping Nick or Nate and not getting a mud hole stomped in them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just not happening. So I feel, like, I feel like really. I think that that might have bugged, um, bugged Nate, you know, because like really, let's be real, Nate's a bigger name than Habib. Habib is, is hotter, but Nate's a bigger name, yes. and Nate's been treated like he's not a name. Exactly. Remember years ago? Oh, he's not a name. He's a move the needle. But we know that's a lie. We knew that's a Fans lie when it was said. Love but... this guy. I mean, he could be a breakthrough star. So this fight is the MSG card, November third, UFC two thirty. But it's the co-main event. It's going to be three rounds. Poirier's already saying this is going to be like the greatest three rounds in UFC history that they're going to deliver. If Nate goes through with it, and Dana was sort of like, I can't figure out Nate. He's going to fight. Don't worry. This is really interesting because it's not the main event. Connor's not the main event. 
what's going to be the main event? Are they waiting on John Jones? Are they trying to do John Jones DC three as the main event? What the heck's going on? Kingbo, what will, what can be the main event for an MSG card that would make it worthy? Is it have to be GSP Silva? What's going, what do you hear? What do you know? I haven't heard anything, but I'm, I'm thinking that they're trying to find something. But if they don't find anything soon, they're just going to have that as the main event. Because really, it makes more sense to have that as the main event. Why would you have that as a three-round fight and have that five-round fight? These guys are five-round fighters. You know what I'm saying? Three rounds is good, but then we'll be sitting there like, oh, man, close three rounds. We should have, man, we should have championship rounds. We need rounds four and five to figure out who the better fighter is. Wouldn't it be better if they said no the winner gets the winner of Connor Habib and just have the, that? That'd be fan, That's great marketing, right? It's great marketing, but at the same time, what the messed up part is, where, what happens to Kevin Lee? Tony Ferguson. What happens to Tony Ferguson? Yes. Like, what happens to them? Like, like, that's the issue. Like, if, if Connor, if say if Habib were to win, who fights him next? Ferguson? Dustin if he wins? Diaz if he wins? Or Kevin Lee? Like, what do you do? Cause they, like, they've had three belts. So now, you strip, you strip the champion, the interim champion of the, what, what happened? Who's he fight next? His next fight should be for the belt, but it might not happen. Who do you think – it's early, but when you hear Dustin Poirier against Nate Diaz, what do you think? Because that's a hell of a fight considering how hot Dustin is. But then again, Nate hasn't fought in two and a half years. Yeah, if it's a three-round fight, I got Dustin all day. If it's a five-round fight, I still think Dustin's going to win. Two years is a long time to be off. Dustin has grown into the weight class, gained confidence. Has been tested and has passed every test. And the DS can be broken mentally, where they kind of give up in a fight, right? Or is that just what? Nick in your eyes? Nah, uh, I don't think they give up. It's just like, like that's why, like, man, they're like, you know, they're like, they're like, f this. You're gonna fight me. You don't wrestle me, but you know, it's like they, I don't know, they, they, I don't know. I don't think they, they, they break. They's kind of like they're like, come on, let me up, let's fight. You know, I, I don't know. I just think that you know, um, that's a weird fight for Diaz to come back to. It's a good fight, but like. You need a little more time because Dustin Poirier is very well-rounded, composed. Now, now the thing is, I think Diaz is probably thinking, "Hey, I can make it. I can turn this into a slugfest." But I don't know because Dustin's gotten a lot. He's gotten more mature, became more mature. Like for instance, True. Dustin Poirier has become what Garbrandt should, will become. Think about it. Dustin Poirier was a Garbrandt. Granted, like he was young, got in the game, fought tough people. He was wrecking shop. Not like Garbrandt was, because Garbrandt had the, had a higher pedigree coming in, but Dustin was young coming in. And we saw Justin, we saw Dustin mature after the Connor fight because, actually after the Eddie Alvarez fight, because the Connor fight, he got, let Connor get in his head, wants the fights. Then when he fought, when he fought Michael Johnson got beat, came, comes back, wins the fights. Then he fights, um, Eddie Alvarez. Gets him hurt, gets reckless, then gets need. You know what I'm saying? Like, you said to see Dustin, Fight more controlled now. He's fighting more. Uh, fight, he's fighting like a true vet, fighting like a mature vet. Even though he's still young, you know what I'm saying. I, I feel like he's become what Cody Brand, Cody Garbrandt is going to become eventually. If Cody Garbrandt become, ends up like Dustin Poirier, he'll be a champion. That's, that's, that's a fair again. blueprint to follow to sort of bounce back. Um, hear me on my conspiracy theory to close. Alexander Gustafson okay. was supposed to fight on Saturday at 227. Got pulled with what they called a minor undisclosed injury. Gustafson said, Sin said, don't worry, I'll be back, quote, very soon. Are they keeping Gustafson in the bullpen just as much as they are watching the John Jones situation, which, by the way, we're more than a year since Jones uh, tested, you know, for for uh, for bad things against Cormier. Can we get that thing resolved? Are they hoping that the Madison Square Garden main event is either Jones 
Cormier 3, or Jones Gustafson 2, or Cormier Gustafson 2. Does Gustafson figure into this as a, as a fallback safe because they pulled him from 227 for kind of a small reason? Well, you can find out with, with Daniels, look at his weight. If he's, if he's starting to seem like he's starting to slim down, then quite possibly. But if he's not and he's still just living the life, then, then no. We'll probably wait for Connor for Gustafson. But if, if Daniel's still a little heavier and just chilling, then he is not waiting for John Jones. He is not waiting for Gustafson. But if Gustafson's like around and they're waiting for, because I, I, I thought the John Jones thing should have been done by now, but I don't know. I have, I have no idea. The Anson Silva thing was done. Um, I, I have no idea. I, it, it's a lot of questions that ain't been answered. There are a lot of questions out there and rarely any of them have been answered when it comes to these uh, situations. That would be a heck of a doubleheader, the idea of Diaz Poirier and Gustafson against either guy, or obviously Jones Cormier 3, but, I mean, even if it was, imagine if it was Jones Gustafson 2, that'd be badass. Yeah, I, I, but I honestly think that, you know, they should have Diaz versus Dustin Poirier be the main event and get a good co-main event because – why, like, you know, push the, the Jones Gustafson fight a different time. I really think that, I would think a, a five round fight for Poirier Diaz is the best, is the best possible, is the best thing. Three rounds is good, but five rounds, we need them in five rounds. Definitely. All right. The good news is that good stuff is coming, King Mo. Fired up. It's going to be a fun second half of the year after, let's be honest, a year and a half, two years without Connor that has also Doubled down as one of the worst stretches for UFC in terms of TV ratings, pay-per-view buys. Certainly we've had good fights, but we've seen the watering down of the sport. I'm not saying Connor's going to fix everything, but if Connor comes back, if John Jones comes back, if you know Brock is coming back, I mean, the kind of things that pull casual fans' interest back in are happening now. The right people are coming back. And, and in the end, King Mo, we can say what we will about the UFC we're MMA fans. We're in this business together. We want the business to be thriving. We want there to be giant UFC pay-per-views and giant Bellator shows and, and big deals for everybody. We want to get paid too, King Mo. You and I, we both want hey. to get paid. MMA, hey, it feels like we're back. All right, we're back. Yeah, I, I just think that I think the problem with the UFC is they're making moves that seem more short, short-term. short Yeah, always, always. Like, they're always So yeah. there's this gaping wound that is the breakdown of the pay-per-view business, and they're constantly trying to make these decisions to, like, put a Band-Aid over it. Yeah, and because the thing is, like, Brock Lesnar coming back is just a Band-Aid. Waiting for, waiting for John Jones, that, that might be stitches. Um, Dustin, Dustin, um, Dustin um, Diaz, definitely some, uh, um, the, the, you know, that's the glue you put on over stitches. You put enough <laughs> over stitches over the cut. Cause they'll, it'll come back and it'll heal. Cause that's something solid. Um, Gustafson, John Jones, waiting, waiting. We don't know, but the Brock Lesnar thing is a band-aid and possibly Connor coming back versus Habib might be a band-aid. If they were smart, they would have, to, they would have Connor come back, warm up, tune up fight, a showcase fight, just so he can knock out the rest. Because the last thing you want him to do is knock out the rest versus Habib and come out there and get dominated and like, manhandled and smashed because if you go out there and get smashed and dominated then guess what the chances of Connor coming back I don't know the same or even coming back period might not you know it might be a temporary thing interesting it might be a cash up 
Wow. I just feel like the juice is back. The energy, the performance enhancing audio came out. We bring it to people and it's always more fun when there's fights to talk about rather than just talk about what they're not doing right. Let's talk about what they're doing right. Good stuff. King Mo, you're in Vegas. Enjoy yourself. Are you going to, you're going to hit the slot matter? What do you do? What do you do in Vegas, King Mo? Do you get down? There's a lot of sins. There's a lot of vices there. Is there anything you do to get down in Vegas? Uh, I just eat a bunch of crawfish and shrimp and hot and juicy and I spar and I train and, uh, you know, I said, I really, Vegas to me is like a, I come here for training or eating or business. All right. We won't, we won't no see you on TMZ here. for anything bad. We won't see you uh, ah. em- emptying the purse at the slot machines, if you will. No, <laughs> no, none of that. All right. Never that, never Follow that. the king on social media, Kingmo FH. Follow this show at In This Corner CBS. Kingmo, thank you for joining me this week. The schedule is a little light the rest of the month, but business is picking up, my friend. I want to find out when you're back in the cage. I want to find out when Coker texts me and goes, hey, BC, should we put King Mo in with Machida? What should we do here? And I go, no, forget Machida. Get me Emmanuel Newton. We have a settle a score <laughs> to settle. All right, let's do it. Let's do it, King Mo. Great talking to you. Anything to say to your people on the on, on the exit here? Oh, but before, I, before I say the two words, fight fans, if you get a chance, go watch – Alvarez versus Kovalev. Watch that knockout. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Soul was removed from Sergey Kovalev. Wow. Wow. What a great finish from the storm. A A little boxing for you on the timeline there. Great stuff. King Mo, two words. We out.